You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. We're uh, starting a new series tonight uh, called I Am Legend, and um, we're going to do a, a study out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, there's six chapters in the book of Ephesians, and the purpose of the book of Ephesians, Paul planted the church in Ephesus. Has anybody ever been to Ephesus? Okay, I have. Jason, you have. Anybody else? Henry has. It's actually in Turkey. That's a country, by the way. It's in Turkey, and they actually pronounce it today, Ephesus. And uh, I got a, had a chance to go there. I flew, I was at a conference, but I paid $250 on my pocket to fly to Ephesus for the day. So I flew that morning at 7 to Ephesus, did a tour and just walked around. Everybody was mad at me because I was taking too long looking at every little thing. And then we let, left that later that day and took a ton of pictures. It was very moving. I was in that arena, you know, where Paul almost got pulled to pieces and stuff. And that. And the brother, you know, some of the people just walked right through. Oh, that's pretty cool. I was like standing there just kind of trying to imagine what it would be like, just smelling the sight, if you will. Um, Paul planted his church in Ephesus, and, and then three to five years later, he wrote the book of Ephesians to encourage the Christians. So the purpose of this book was to encourage the Christians. There was racism, Greeks and Jews. They didn't commingle. And Paul tells them, no, in Christ, the two come together. God created one new man. Isn't, isn't that what we need today in the Middle East, in Africa, in the United States, in Asia? Isn't there racism in every country, in every community? Paul says, back then, there's one new man in Christ. You're included here, Jews and Greeks, everybody. Um, he talks a lot about Christ and grace. and gives a lot of instructions in the latter part of the letter. So tonight, we're going to look at chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to memorize, not tonight, but we're going to memorize a few verses over this month in the book of Ephesians. I have an assignment for you at the end. That's one of the assignments, to memorize these three verses. So it's just one and a half verses a week, because we're not going to be here next week. Where are we going to be? The Blood Brother movie. And if you haven't bought your ticket, there's going to be 20 here for sale, or buy them online. But please don't just miss midweek. I do want to say this. If you're strapped for the $10, okay, I don't want you then not to go to midweek. Just talk to your ministry leader, be humble, say, I'm having a tough time, I want to go to midweek, I don't have the money, we'll figure it out for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? But don't just not go to church because um, you don't have it, because we want everyone to be there. But this whole concept, I am legend, destiny, being destined. You know, God has destined people for a great plan. All of us have grown up in a certain situation, certain family. It's shaped who we are in good ways and bad ways. Everybody. All of us have been given a certain set of gifts. That's in Ephesians chapter what? Chapter 4, right? He's given us different grace, different levels of gifts for God's body. And, and yet God has a plan for every human being that's willing to worship him and is willing to be in a relationship with him through Christ, God has a destiny. And the word legend from the, from the Latin root means to tell a story. And isn't that how we are? Isn't that the most important thing to people? In fact, if you 
Talk to people that are like, not talk to, but read about people that are mega rich. At some point, early on, it's not about the money. Because after you can buy the jet and the multiple houses and the this and the that, what else do you buy? And art and this and that. What else? What it's about often is self-importance, legacy. Will I be remembered? Did I make a difference? You know what I'm saying? Even a Bill Gates, you know, the richest man in the world, are right up there, top two and three, they change it out. You know, he gave away about $17 billion, uh, the largest foundation ever, and he's trying to change the world, eliminate malaria, eliminate all these different diseases. And I mean, he's trying to pour all of his money into solving social problems. Why? Wants to make a difference. Wants to be a legend. Wants to have a legacy. You know, you heard me speak about a while ago about Alfred Nobel, where we got the Nobel Peace Prize. He made a fortune making dynamite, which was turned into bombs, and killed people. And he had a turning point where he realized, what? Is that how I'm going to be remembered? No! And he donated all of his money towards the Nobel Peace Prize that's still being given today, years and years and years later. God put in us a desire to be a legend, to have a story to tell. And that can only be done through Christ. You know, I'm going to show just two clips tonight from this movie, I Am Legend. It's a little bit of an older movie. It's 2007. But don't show it yet. Thank you. But uh, this is a story. It's uh, science fiction. It was, written, it was a book that was written in the 50s. It was made, this is the third time it was made into a movie. But it's a story about a guy named Robert Neville who was a, uh, it's a made-up story, but was a world-class scientist and um, there, this virus, they tried to re-engineer this virus in order to help mankind, and it messed up, and it killed mankind. And the virus was unstoppable, incurable, and man-made. And isn't that what sin is? It's unstoppable? It's incurable without Christ? And it's man-made. There's a line in the movie where he says, um, we did this. God didn't do this. We did this. You know, I think of that proverb that says, a man's own folly ruins his life, and yet his heart rages against the Lord. You know, we think about that virus of sin. And so Neville somehow was immune and is now the last human survivor, one of the last human survivors in all of New York City and maybe even the world. But he's not alone. He's surrounded by the infected victims of the plague who mutated into carnivorous beings. And they only can exist in the dark. They can only come out at night. And they'll devour anything or anyone in their path. And so for three years, he spends his days scavenging for food and supplies because during the day, they go back into hiding and faithfully sending out radio messages desperate to find any other survivors who might be there. All the while, the infected lurk in the shadows, watching his every move. Isn't that what Satan does? He lurks in the shadows. He... He watches our every move. He knows our weak spots. In fact, the word, the Bible, the Bible uh, talks about the word God testing us. It's all through the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. God tests us. God tests us. But God tests us. You heard me say this before. He goes and checks Ephesians chapter 6 if we've got on the full armor. Clink, 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 clink. Oh, there's no armor here. Huh, I wonder why. We're going to have to strengthen this area. He goes and God tests us through hardship and people and situations and things to strengthen us 
to expose our weakness, not to exploit us, but so that we can be protected to strengthen us. Satan, the word tempt, is the same word. He goes and he think, 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 think. He tries to find our weakness so he can exploit us. He can put in the hook. He can infect us with the virus. He can cause us to stumble. And so these, these, um, these zombies are out there desperate to find any survivors and they're lurking in the shadows and they're waiting for Neville to make any fatal mistakes. Neville is mankind's last best hope. His only remaining mission is to find a way to reverse the effects of the virus using his own immune blood. But the problem is his blood is also what the infected hunt. And so he's trying to figure it out throughout the whole movie. He knows he's outnumbered and he's quickly running out of time. Think about how few people there are in the world that are real Christians compared to the level of people out there that don't worship God. And it just puts a little different perspective and how important we are in Christ, not in and of ourselves, but in Christ for the short time that God gives us on this earth. So, you know, he goes on to show that three years later, the city's empty. It didn't work. It, it, the virus turned on the human beings. And I, and I thought about this, that, you know, we think as human beings that we can engineer our way out of anything. If I just buy this, or if I just do this, or if I just drink this, or if I just hang this way or that, we can work our way out of it. We cannot be smooth enough, suave enough, smart enough to engineer our way out of dealing with sin. We need God. And I think about this here in Ephesians chapter 2. If you can turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and we're going to look at Ephesians 2, and then we're going to go back to Ephesians 1. Just like in a movie, how they'll foreshadow, they'll go forward and then go backwards. In Ephesians 2, God reminds us, as for you, you individually, me, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air but the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You know, left to ourselves, we can't fix ourselves. We can't cure ourselves. In fact, when something's dead, it does not respond any longer to stimuli. Can't hear, can't see, can't smell, can't taste, can't touch. And what the Bible teaches is that outside of God, we're dead. We can't fix ourselves. We cannot say, okay, I'm going to make myself better. We need God. We need Christ in order to be made alive. Now, God puts the desire in our hearts, and we have to suffocate that desire. We have to squelch that desire for us not to feel it. It is unnatural to not desire God. It really is. Now, if you, if you silence it long enough, it becomes completely natural. But it is unnatural. Children aren't born going, I don't believe in anything. This is all ridiculous. They're taught. 
And the Bible teaches so much about how faith is taught. Faithlessness is taught too. But I, this, this is so good to remember, especially if you're an older Christian. You were dead. Because, you know, I've been a Christian 25 years, and I can kind of think, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't cuss. Try not to, at least. You know, it doesn't typically happen. And Don't smoke. Don't drink. Tell the truth. I don't steal. I don't lie. At least I try not to. I mean, I've exaggerated before and under-exaggerated, so that would be lying. But, you know, you can kind of feel I'm kind of pretty smooth now. I'm on the good side. I'm the good guys. I've, through practice, made myself pretty good. And yet the Bible teaches you were dead. You couldn't make yourself, through your own efforts, alive. Only Christ made you alive. You responded to that. And I just think it's good to remember that. And he says, and you followed, it says you followed the sins of this world and you followed the ruler of the air. What's he talking about? The devil. He says the, the devil's at work in those who are disobedient. So just like God's at work in you, the devil is at work in people. And just like God wants to fill every part of you and guide you and control you and to protect you and to lead you to great places, Satan wants to do the exact same thing. And that's what he's reminding the Christians there in Ephesians 2 before he deals with their prejudice. He says, hey, remember three to five years ago when we started the church? You were dead. You know, for those of you that have been Christians a long time, fast forward back and try to, even though it's impossible, imagine who you would be today if Jesus hadn't brought out the paddles. Claire! And you're, do you know what I'm saying? Think about who you would be today. I, keep, I always think of that passage that says, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what's going to happen to the ungodly, and, ungodly or sinner? I mean, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to keep a soft heart. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to care and be concerned about others. It's easy to be religious. It's hard to keep love in your heart. It's hard to stay excited about the Bible and prayer and keep returning over the soil of your heart. It's easy just to be a good person. And I think he's trying to remind us where we've come from and that it wasn't us that made it happen. You know, um, we had three core values that we emphasized last week. Anybody remember what they are? Number one, that you matter to God. I'm hoping that that will become more than a cliche in our fellowship. I'm hoping that if Satan's the accuser, he's accusing, saying you don't really matter to God, that this year all of our Bible study, all of our conversation, all the different things we're going to do creatively to hit the body of Christ, to strengthen the body, that you would feel at the end of this year, if this is January of 2015, that you would feel in your spiritual confidence, I matter to God. He thinks about me. He's involved with me. He cares about me. He's for me. Even when I'm frustrated and it, things are frustrating or I'm struggling, he's still involved. I matter to him. 
And that's kind of what, what you see here in chapter 1 and 2 is that we matter to God. And I want us to think about that. You know, I think of this whole idea. God doesn't want us to be alone. God wants to, us to be able to connect with him. God cares about us having a relationship with him. And God wants to provide us food. That's why it's there in Matthew chapter 6. God wants to provide us shelter. God wants to provide us security. God wants us to not be alone. Uh, Most of you have heard that they've done studies, many studies, on solitary confinement. And they consider it cruel and unusual punishment because it affects people's mental state. They lose it. Why? We're meant to be alone. God made us as social beings. God made us to connect with each other. But we can't connect with each other if we don't connect with him. He's the whole source of intimacy. God is what? Love. So we can't connect with each other if we don't connect with God. Anytime I meet somebody that's really religious and they say, me and the big guy are cool. And people have told me that, literally, just like that. You know, me and the big guy are cool. It's just people I have a problem with. I don't do the church thing. I said, well, if you and the big guy are that cool, then you should be able to get along with people. I just don't like organized religion. I said, well, our church can be very disorganized at times. Uh, You want everybody running everywhere crazy? I mean, you got to organize something to try to do something together. But what are they really saying? I don't trust. I can trust God because he's invisible and it's out there and I can take as little or much as I want. But with people, my faith has to go, it's got to like work. And really our relationship with people are directly, where God's invisible, that's the visible expression of our relationship with God. Right? The fruits of the Spirit. Look at this uh, French philosopher. Are you there yet? Okay. Thanks. Um, you know, a lot of people are feel hopeless or cynical. In fact, most older people get very cynical. Why? Because you've lived your whole life. I tried this. I tried this. I tried traveling. I tried this. I tried marriage. I tried this. I tried this. I tried this. I retired. I did this. I got this. And I still feel dried up, empty. What was missing? The connection to God. And that's... That's what I want to emphasize today. How is your relationship with God? Your relationship with God, like a human relationship, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. Not God. The Bible says God is immutable is the word. He doesn't change. He's not like shifting shadows, James talks about. You know, the shadows change as the time of the day change. God doesn't change. There's no shadows. He's immutable. Look at this uh, French philosopher. Why are the French always depressed? He says... The universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I am convinced that no one else has the least idea. You know, we laugh, but you know, there's a lot more people that feel this than you think. What is he really saying? Hopeless. I don't have hope. What's the point? Well, what is, what is my purpose on this earth? 
That's what we're talking about tonight is purpose. What is my purpose on this earth? Why are you here? You know, Proverbs 14, verse 1 and through 2 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of man to see, is there any who understand? Any who seek a relationship with God? I think that's so cool that God, the fool, a human being, thinks he can engineer his own way, his own plan, cure his own situation, enough time, science, money, whatever, opportunity, I can fix me. God calls that man or woman a fool. And the word fool, Proverbs, Psalms, is typically, if you look at the bottom of the page in your Bible, it says we cannot translate this word properly. It means someone who is morally deficient. But the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, I think sometimes when we don't seek God, we say intellectually, but I believe in God. I'm not that guy. I believe in God. But by our actions, we really don't believe in God. It's just a theory. It's an idea. It's just something to kind of as a backup, 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 maybe, and hope it works and comes on, you know. But it's not a relationship. A relationship is relating. I find out what you like. Later on in Ephesians 5, find out what pleases the Lord. You find out what I like. I try to go out of my way to do the things that you like because I want to relate to you, and you try to go out of the way to find out not to do the things that I don't like, and I want to understand more about you. I want to understand. It's a relationship. And I love that picture that God's looking down from heaven to see, is there any who seek God? Any who understand? What is man's purpose on this earth? The the Puritans said back in the 1600s, this is a famous saying. Some of you have heard it. Most of you haven't. They said the question is, this was the, the word they used in the 1600s. They didn't say purpose, chief end. What is man's chief end? And they said man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What? That's deep. What's our purpose? Our chief end? What are we here for? To glorify God. To worship God. And not just worship him, oh God, oh God, but to enjoy him on this earth and forever. It's a relationship. There should be some joy there. There should be a sense of, God, no one understands me but you, really. God, I am comforted in my misery in this. You get me. And you like me. Even though I'm not feeling like you like me, the Bible tells me so. You ever felt that? Even when you're like not doing wrong, you're like, okay, God, I know you like me, but I'm not liking me too whole lot right now either. But I'm just going to hold to what the word says. Christ dying for me tells me you like me a lot. But think about this. What's our chief end? What's our purpose? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Ephesians 2, verse 3 through 9, he goes on to say, all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, he says, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, 
who is rich in mercy. Do we matter to God? Yes. Yes. Made us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. He did. With Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. What's grace? Unearnable favor. Unmerited favor. It is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age He says... He might show incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. So no one can boast. What does that mean? That doesn't mean we're going to walk around, oh, I'm saved. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey. That's not what he means. He means you can't say, yeah, I did it. I played a really big part in it too. God, you know, God's not impressed with most people, but you know, me, he's, he's rather impressed. Not like, but rather. You, know, he, you can't boast. You can't say it was your family that you grew up in. You can't say you were good enough. It's just God's care for us. We matter. It's his grace. It's his riches. It's his love. It's his kindness. And it's all shown through Christ. You know, we get numb to that. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know the verse, you've heard it before, we can get numb to that. But we've got to think about that, that God is rich in mercy and God, we do matter to God. You know, God, Christ is the only antidote for our soul's satisfaction. Nothing else will satisfy your soul. You can go on a cruise Three times a year. It could be fun. It's not going to satisfy your soul. You could live in the right place in Hollywood Hills or down in Newport Beach or you pick your spot in L.A. or out of L.A. or out in the country away from everybody. Or you, you can, do you know what I'm saying? You want to be a music producer where you just walk down the street and everybody's like, is that so? In-? That won't satisfy your soul. You can have an bu- uh, office at the top, top of the top building, corner window, that won't satisfy your soul. Nothing will satisfy our soul except Christ. Ephesians 1 through 4, 3 through 14. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go back and read it. We talked about it last week. But he just says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, where? In the heavenly realm, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's time that we go back and we think about this and we count what are these spiritual blessings in Christ. He says, every spiritual blessing in Christ, heaven, forgiveness, full assurance, guarantee, his blood, prayer, the sweet fellowship. Should I, I mean, I can just keep going and going and going. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible that just ministers to me John chapter 1, verse 16 says, From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. And I picture in my mind this conveyor belt with like gifts, and it's just like coming at me, and I, I'm taking it, I'm going to take it. Suddenly I can't keep them, and they're just kind of starting to pile up and come over. You know, like just one blessing after another. We do a little thing at my family table, the dinner table. You know, sometimes we talk about high, low, what's your high, what's your low. The latest I've been doing is, hey, tell me how God worked in your life today. How'd you see, no, how did you see God? What? Uh, come on. He's out there. How'd you see God today? How did he work? What did he do for you? 
And you don't think that way unless it's something big. But when you think about it, every spiritual blessing in Christ. How is your relationship with God? I just want you to think of these words. Chosen. Do you feel chosen by God? If not, don't just settle for it and go, no, I don't. Study out in the Bible how you've been chosen. Go online, BibleGateway.com. It's free. Do a word search in a commentary or in the Bible, chose, comma, chosen. And just see the verses and see what God says. Do you feel adopted? Verse 5 and 6, he said you're adopted in love. That you were rescued from being an orphan spiritually or dead to now he picked you. You feel forgiven. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8 that we're forgiven. He's lavished grace on us. Typically, we only feel forgiven, like feel it, right after we've been baptized, or we really messed up. And we're like, man, I've just never felt so forgiven in my life. We feel it. But our level of forgiveness affects our level of love for God. Do you remember the woman that was caught, or the, the sinful woman that came and washed Jesus' feet? Remember that? And he took her, her, her hair and, and she wiped, you know, was crying and using her hair to dry it. And someone's like, oh, that's disgusting. And he says, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. Trust. How's your trust in God? That's a challenge for me. It says he works everything out for the conformity of his will. When you have a good relationship, you feel chosen. I'm in a relationship with this person and we're connected. There's a sense of, I, an adoption, a sense of belonging, forgiven. There's an easy, easy goingness both ways. There's a trust. How about the Holy Spirit? He says the promised Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance. How much are you listening, relying on, seeking the Holy Spirit? And then the last thing he talks about in chapter 1 is that we're God's possession. Do you feel like you belong to God? God wants us to feel that we've been chosen, we've been adopted, we're forgiven, that, he, that there's a trust, that he's given us his spirit to help counsel us and comfort us and encourage us, and that we belong. Here's some practicals here as we close out. Get right with God this year. I don't mean sometime by next December. I mean, get right with God. If you're not a disciple, if you've not been forgiven of your sins, if you've not been baptized, if you've not given up everything, get right with God and get help on how to have a relationship with God. Humility is synonymous to God blessing you. You've got to be humble and get help. Help me have a relationship with God. Tackle the weak points of your walk with God. Is it consistency? Is it discouragement? Is it your personal righteousness or lack of it? Is it a knowledge of the word? Find out where's your weakness in your relationship with God, your weak points. Everybody has them, but tackle one of them. It may not be on this list, but what's more important than anything we have than our walk with God? Learn how you can really enjoy your relationship with God. Sometimes my relationship with God gets stale. He doesn't get stale. I do. He's not boring. I get lazy, or I get distracted, or I get ungrateful, or I get hard-hearted, or I get whatever, and so I stop enjoying my relationship with God. And then finally, practice, your relation, practice sharing about your relationship with God. We talk about what we love. If it's fishing, if it's sports, if it's whatever, share about your relationship with God, both with the saved and with the lost. We're not just inviting people to an organization 
at a midweek. We're telling them about our best, best, best friend. About the person that loves us and accepts us and that we matter to more than anything. Share about that. And here's your assignment for the next two weeks because we're not going to be here next week. Where are we going to be next week, blood brother? Read through and study the entire book of Ephesians in the next two weeks. And look for the core values. You matter to God. You belong here. And you're essential to the mission of Christ. Look for them. In the, book, in the book of Ephesians, if you want like a super-duper assignment, read it twice. Ooh. 14 days, 6 chapters, times 2, 12 chapters, 14 days. Read it twice. Memorize Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. That's three verses. 17, 18, 19. Because we're not here next week, so we need a little extra for next week. So memorize Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. And then lastly, have a quiet time with someone and ask them to share with you, hey, what do you love about your relationship with God? And then you'd, you have, you know, vice versa. What do you love about your relationship with God? And you'll learn something about them, and then you'll also learn something about how to connect with God. When they share with you how they view God, how they connect with God, what means the most to them about God. So, got it? Here's your assignment for the next two weeks. Read through the book of Ephesians at least once. Memorize these three verses. And have a quiet time with someone in the next two weeks and ask them to share with you what they love about their relationship with God. Here's some discussion questions for the last 15 minutes. We'll gather together in groups of three. And if we get out fellowship now, but in 15 minutes, we'll fellowship uh, a lot. So if we can uh, gather together groups of three so everybody can get a little bit of chance to talk, uh, and then we'll fellowship right here and be, end right at night. So let's circle up right where you're at, and you can go ahead and spend some time praying or answering one or two of those questions. Thanks. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.